Welcome to Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor at Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Daniel Moss, economics writer with Bloomberg View in New York. Today, we're giving you part one of our two-part year-end special. Dan and I have brought in three of our colleagues who cover economies around the world. Next week, we'll talk about our predictions for 2018. But first, a look back at 2017, where we've asked everyone, including ourselves, three key questions. One, what was the most surprising economic development of the year? Two, who was a key influential person that you may not have heard of? And three, what was a non-economic development that had an economic impact? We all came up with some pretty intriguing answers. So without further ado, let's review 2017. Joining us today, we have a whole panel of special guests, in addition to my regular co-host, Dan Moss in New York. Joining him in the studio there is Vivian Rodriguez, our managing editor for Latin America Economy and Government Coverage in New York. Vivian, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. In Frankfurt, we have Jana Rondau, our European Economy Editor. Jana, how's it going? Very well, thanks. And last but not least, joining us all the way from Hong Kong is Enda Curran, our Chief Asia Economic Correspondent. Enda, good evening. Good evening. It's great to be on. Thank you. All right, let's jump into it with our first question about 2017. What was the most surprising economic development of the year? Let's start with Yana. As far as the euro area is concerned, one really has to say the strength of the recovery. It's domestically driven, it's increasingly broad-based, it's self-sustained, and it came, I should say, as, as a bit of a surprise uh, to the European Central Bank. Uh, since they put out forecasts at the end of last year, they have had to revise them up several times. And the Eurozone at the moment is having its best economic performance in a decade. That is quite something, I would say. It is something that is remarkable given how sclerotic the recovery has been in, in recent years, You know, not just there, but across advanced economies in general. Let's go next to Enda in Hong Kong. Enda, what was the most surprising economic development of 2017 as far as you're concerned? Scott, for me, I think one of the big developments has been the uh, steep decline in unemployment in some of the world's biggest economies. We've seen jobless rates fall to decade or multi-decade lows in big economies like Japan, Canada, UK, US, Germany and others. It's brought the OECD average down to below 6%. But the thing is, it's come with something of a twist because even though jobs are being added and labour markets are pretty tight, Wage growth is still quite subdued, not just in Japan, but right around the world in these advanced economies. And that's one of the big reasons behind the sluggish inflation that central bankers continue to complain about. The reasons for it are multiple. It's blamed on new technology, it's blamed on part-time workers, and it's blamed on a reluctance among companies to invest. However, there is some tentative signs that perhaps the great capex uh, revolution might actually be starting. We're seeing some big companies like Samsung and Toyota and others, certainly in Asia, talk about spending more, investing in their plants and investing in their staff. So perhaps next year, we might see something of a pickup in wages. Interesting. All right, let's come back across the Atlantic or the Pacific, I guess, to New York in our studio there. Vivian, what's your take on this question? Well, definitely one 
indicator here that surprised economists and also uh, government officials, I mean, everybody got this wrong in Latin America, was the inflation level for Brazil in 2017. I mean, at the beginning of this year, a lot of people were expecting inflation to end to be now around the 5% rate. Actually, the target in Brazil is 4.5%, and we are much closer to 3%. So this really also led the central bank to cut interest rates way more aggressively than expected. We are talking about extra 300 basis points of interest rate cuts. I mean, Brazil interest rates actually just touched a record low early in December. So definitely quite a, I would say a 300 basis points a mismatch or a surprising figure for people who pay close attention to Latin American economics. Definitely, uh, after all the political turmoil they've had there, you know, it's pretty interesting to note those kinds of economic developments. Right. Yeah, we almost lost a president in May. So it's pretty surprising. All right. Thank you, Vivian. Dan, let's go to you next. I'm surprised that Asian officials consistently expressed surprise that Donald Trump withdrew the United States from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He indicated he would do that during the campaign. Hillary Clinton, who was for it, subsequently came out against it. And in the Democratic primaries, Bernie Sanders was against it as well. Why was it such a surprise that Trump did this? Well, it really wasn't if you follow the campaign, but I guess you know, years of watching these things to actually see something like that happen probably was unthinkable, would you say? Well, Ender was present for a number of these discussions, certainly in the first part of the year. And it just kept coming up, Ender, didn't it? They just couldn't leave it alone. And I'm like, why? He said he would do this. That is right. But it's worth noting that they've ploughed on with TPP plus 11, Dan. They're determined to get um, some form of deal over the line, even without the U.S., Anyway, I was surprised that they were surprised. So the TPP might come back in some form after all. Thanks, Dan. All right, I'm going to go last here. And uh, Vivian and Enda have kind of alluded to this already. But for me, the most surprising economic development of the year had to have been how inflation came down and how wages were so weak here in the United States, despite the economy being fairly solid with unemployment dipping well below 5%. It seems like it's about to go below 4%. Nobody really expected inflation to suddenly fall as it did from early this year until just pretty recently when it's finally begun to stabilize. It's still a good chunk below the Federal Reserve's 2% target. Wages have not really been pushing up that much. They're kind of stuck within this range of gains, 2 to 3% that they've been for the last two years. So, you know, that's really puzzled a lot of people and forced economists to sort of rethink how they're looking at the U.S. economy. Next question to our panel. Name a key influential person that few people have ever heard of. Ender. Sri Mulyani Indrawati, finance minister of Indonesia. She doesn't make global headlines, but she's running one of the world's biggest economies in a vast nation in a pretty complicated part of the world. She made waves at the beginning of this year, Dan, when she slapped a ban on JP Morgan after its analysts recommended to sell Indonesian stocks. That drew criticism that she was uh, pushing censorship. But since then, she's steered a massive tax amnesty that generated billions for the government. She saw uh, the government get a coveted ratings upgrade. And of course, she doesn't get the same global airtime as her peers, but behind the scenes at IMF meetings and G20 meetings, she's considered to be determined, dogged, and one of the more effective finance ministers out there. 
Good call. Not without her missteps, but nevertheless a tremendous advocate for her country and for the region. Yana. Mark Faraci, he's a friend-turned-special advisor to uh, French President Emmanuel Macron, who was elected by a decisive margin in May. And Faraci is one of the brains behind the country's reworking of the unemployment benefit system. Unions will fight tooth and nail over it, but Faraci really has two advantages. He is the son of a labor and social law expert with extensive networks in French social groups, which is obviously going to be a big plus. And he has the ear of Macron himself. He was the best man in his wedding, for example. Viviani. Well, one very interesting character is Idilfonso Guajardo. He's the economy minister of Mexico, always a little bit under the shadow of Luis Videgaray, which is now the top negotiator uh, on NAFTA. But the reality is Guajardo is truly the man tirelessly working to preserve and advocate for Mexico interests in these very lengthy and, I would say, close to dramatic negotiations of uh, involving NAFTA now taking place every month. So, so definitely someone people don't hear about a lot outside of Latin America, but quite a, a bulldog, quite a diplomat, quite an extremely knowledgeable man who, who is really doing a lot of work for Mexico. Scott. Well, Dan, I'm going to offer a little twist here. You didn't say that the person had to be living. So my pick is William Phillips. He is the economist behind the eponymous Phillips curve. And if there's one idea that's had a stranglehold on Federal Reserve policymakers in 2017, it is the Phillips curve, the idea that decline in the unemployment rate will eventually push up wages and thus inflation. And just like in in the first question, when I talked about how inflation and wages being weak was a major surprise in 2017, The Fed has continued to raise interest rates, and a lot of that is because of this very man, William Phillips, and the idea of the Phillips curve. Influential, even though he didn't show up. Exactly. My pick is a gentleman called Claudio Borio. He is a senior official at the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland. That's kind of a central bank for central banks. He published a very provocative paper in September, which continues to get quite a lot of buzz. One of the things he went into is explaining the impact of a global market for labor. We're used to talking about globalization in the context of stuff being cheaper on the shelves at Walmart. But what if the labor pool was not a national labor pool at all? So this idea of hinging policy on national unemployment rates may really be wide of the mark. All right. Great answers, everybody. Very interesting. Let's go on to our third and final round for this episode. And we're going a little bit outside our normal economic wheelhouse here. What is one non-macroeconomic, non-political development that had a significant economic impact in 2017? Vivian, why don't you go first? 
Well, we kind of mentioned it a little bit, and I'm sorry, it is a bit political, but it was the tape scandal in Brazil early in May. I mean, overnight, you almost uh, detoppled the president, market sell-off. We really thought Temer was going to have to resign after these tapes were leaked to the press, allegedly, you know, showing that he discussed hush money to a former ally. And this on the back of impeachment and the trauma in Brazil just, just really brought back some of the darkest moments, you know, li- literally in questions of hours. So quite a dramatic moment for Brazil and Latin America. All right. A little political, I have to say, but I'll give you a pass there. Let's turn to Enda. What do you think is a major development that had a significant economic impact? Scott, I think it has to be the digital currency boom. It's eight years now since Bitcoin was born, and it has since morphed into something of a runaway boom that central banks are really struggling to get a grip on. Two issues here, how to regulate them, And do central banks themselves issue some kind of a sovereign version? Central banks are pretty hesitant about it. They've cracked down on private digital issuers, for example, but they also recognise the potential for the underlying technology that it can play a role in finance. One example is New Zealand. They're talking about plans for future issuance and how they can use digital units in their strategies. But let me give you a flavour of how divided the opinion is. ECB Vice President Vitor Constancio said in September that Bitcoin is not a currency, but it is a tulip. Definitely a hot topic we're going to be talking about for years to come. Yana, let's go to you. I also picked something that borders on on technology. I would say innovation in the car industry. As we all remember, there was a big diesel scandal and it rocked automakers. So they have really increased spending on developing more attractive electric cars to kickstart sluggish demand to also show that they care about the environment. But whether that investment actually will pay off remains very uncertain because at the moment, battery prices are very high. They squeeze returns compared to equivalent engines that run on gas or fuel. And um, even Tesla, when you look at the market leader, even Tesla is struggling somewhat because the company did unveil a cheaper car. Now it has problems producing them in great mass. So it's definitely an interesting thing to watch also in the future. All right. Dan, you've got a pretty interesting one that I hadn't been familiar with before. Go ahead. I'm going for a Korea company in Japan called Yamato Holdings. These are the guys that have the little trucks in Tokyo that seem to be everywhere with the logo of the cat and the little kitten in its mouth. For the first time in about three decades, that's three decades, they raised their base charge to their most important customers. It took a long time. What's important is that it happened. They also had to pay overtime to about 47,000 employees. The tightness of the Japanese labor market and the declining pool of available labor may finally be starting to bite. And if we look back and say, right, this is the year where this equation turned in Japan, we may well be thinking about cats and kittens. We'll see if it's another 27 years before they raise their prices again, Dan. But uh, let's come back to the United States. And I'm going to pick an answer that probably won't shock anybody. But it's the continuing rise and rise of Amazon.com, and especially looking at how they surprised everybody and they bought Whole Foods, the pretty well-known grocery chain that caters to people looking for organic goods, high-end kind of stuff, metro markets, whatever you want to call it. They are 
having effects on holding down inflation, going back to previous answers. You know, they, they keep moving into new markets, new products, growing and growing. I personally order more from Amazon than I probably ever have before. It's just something that is continuing to affect the world economy, even though uh, it, you know it's kind of separate from a macroeconomic development specifically. And with that, we conclude our part one of the benchmark year-end spectacular, a look back at 2017. I want to thank our panelists for participating. Enda, Yana, Vivian, thank you so much for being with us. Tune in next week for part two of our year-end spectacular, where we'll look ahead to 2018. In the meantime, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at at Scott Landman. Dan, you're at Moss underscore Eco. Enda is at at Enda Curran. Yana is at at J-R-A-N-D-O-W. And Vivian is at at V-I-V underscore R-O-D-13. This episode of Benchmark was produced by Sarah Patterson and Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.